Hey, Julie here from Crazy and the King. And as a small business owner, Torin and I both know that paying and taking care of your team can be tough, especially right now during COVID. And that's why Gusto, our very first sponsor, has a built-in, easy-to-use payroll, benefits, onboarding, and other HR tools. If you, our listeners get three months free at gusto.com slash C-A-T-K. That's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues and hosts, incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and Hey, fresh, fresh like Cartier. I mean, I'm on my steeds today. Listen, you know, I, I'm I'm curious. We we all work from home, so so we can get a, get get a bit lazy every once in a while, and we find ourselves running around in sweatsuits and hoodies, and you know, for me in my case, beanies every once in a while. But no matter what I look like, if I'm on camera or not on camera, I just need y'all to understand. Can't be fresh. I'm Cartier down today, smelling extremely good. How are you? I am in my Lululemon, so I'm living in those uh, stretchy pants and yes, enjoying yes. every minute of it. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, I'm curious. So so before we started all of this work from home stuff, you you had the luxury of working from home. Uh, yep. And as Kay Fabella uh, says shout out to Kate Fabella over in Spain. We loved her on the third week of December episode. But as Kate Fabella would say, I have a master's degree for my waist up in dressing. So before we started working remote, did you get dressed up every day or or did you wear Lululemon, you know, even before COVID? Yeah, it, it's um it's definitely taken a turn down, like in COVID. What, what do you now, mean by turn down? Like I I showered every day and okay. I, you know, like did my thing every day. But oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I still shower every day, but I don't wash my hair very often anymore. Okay. All right. And because I don't have to go anywhere. Okay. And so it's like, might as well let my hair get all healthy and shiny and stuff. And when you see me next, it'll be a lot longer. Yeah. I've been a little bit lazier and I found that when I'm on Zoom calls, which we we didn't really do that much. Like most of our calls were on the phone and we're on zoom all the time. Yeah. Like everyone is more casual. So I'm, I'm okay to show up in a ponytail, you know, it's a little makeup, but I don't feel like I have to go put on my dress shirt as often. So, you know, so much has been switched up since we've been in these COVID days. Like I, I put up a, uh, an image on Instagram. And if you are out there listening and you do not follow me on Instagram, I mean, it's not as if I'm, encouraging you to run to follow me because I don't have a whole bunch of shenanigans taking place on my social media. So I'm not the funnest person to follow. However, I did put up a uh, post on Instagram uh, at around 7.45 a.m. And it was a shot of cognac with some ice cubes in it uh, on the corner of the bed. So in the, in the, the tag to that was, it's about to be a good day. And so it really has been 
a good day. Happy to be recording with you. Happy to be back in week number two of Crazy and the King. We got a long way to go, man. We got oh, a long yeah. way to go. I mean, we feel like, you know, some people, uh, uh, Rachel, Rachel Williams from uh, X, she, she sent an email last night and in her email, she says, it's me. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. She said, I, yes, we are in 2021. Looks like it's wearing the wig of 2020. Uh, because I mean, like, you know, we've gotten off to a crazy start, but let's do all that we can to keep it positive and keep it pushing forward. Um, so look, small talk, AJ, none but a number. Uh, you remember Tim Berners-Lee? Do you remember that name? Nope, I don't. Tell me who he is. So he is the guy who is, I mean, he receives so much of the credit for why we have the World Wide Web that we have today. And I so you got to be, th- be thinking back. I'm talking, you know, you're talking about a person. If he's got anything to do with the WWW that we used to type in, and shout out to all those people who still type in WWW and then whatever it is that they want to do, like uh, you got to love them. But, but if he's got anything to do with those three letters in sequence and then the period behind it, we talking like 1970, 80, like he's been around a while. He's been around a while. And so he's back and he's back with the startup. Uh, I believe that the startup is in Boston and the startup is trying to build something called pods, uh, personal online data stores, personal online data stores. We'll include the link. Uh, Let me see if I can just get the title for you all real quick. If you go out to Reuters, uh, it's titled Father of the Web, Tim Berners-Lee Prepares Do-Over. So, I think it's going to be an interesting thing because quite frankly, I got to tell you, I, um, I'm not happy with, with the exchange of all of our personal information and then what these organizations have been able to do with it over the last decade. And you and I, we actually had a point of contention a year, year and a half or so ago. Uh, because if you recall, I was um, the MC at Unleash and um, what's his name? Er, uh, Edward Snowden was mm-hmm. one of the, the, the discussion points. And this is a lot of what he talked about. Like, what what is our country doing? What are these organizations doing with our data? So I'm, I'm interested to see where Tim Berners-Lee is going to take his new startup and you know, what happens and hopefully what what that does for all of us is a project called Solid. I'm looking forward to seeing how solid it really is. Yeah, I think this story is uh, way bigger than uh, his his number on this on the aging scale. This will definitely be one to follow in 2021. Um, And I don't know if you heard, but someone new is moving into the White House next week. In fact, by the time you and I are on the air next week, we will have a new president. We will. We, we will. will. Yes. Um, and so just quick shout out to the Biden campaign who has hired a company who employs people with disabilities um, to help clean and sanitize and prepare the White House for its new residents. So 
kudos to that. We always like to see people being employed and hopefully being employed to their fullest possibilities. Absolutely. And you got to ask the question, you know, because, you know, the uh, administration, the current administration didn't. Um, well, do I want to use past tense? Probably best for me to use present because they don't necessarily take the precautions that we we feel are important. They don't take them as serious as so many of us are taking them. I think our death toll now is uh, somewhere over 400,000. I would say that the White House really needs a, I mean, really, really, really deep cleaning. Uh, And because of that transition, like literally that transition takes place within hours. You know, Uh, it's not as if there are a couple of days to, to let that thing happen. Really, Biden is supposed to be there that afternoon. So I don't know. Uh, and because Trump is apparently not going to attend the inauguration, perhaps he will vacate the premises a few days early and they can begin cleaning. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, you know, thinking about kind of putting Airbnb kind of rules in place, it, ideally you'd have at least four days between one occupant to the other um, yeah. just to be safe. But you know, you've got the same staff, you've got not the same staff, but some of the same staff and, and all of that. So, you know, if, if Biden hung out in Delaware and, and just had a skiff in his, his basement for a few days, like, I'd be okay with that. Like, I'm better safe than sorry kind of girl. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, so here's a quick quote from Asha, Asha, A-S-H-A, Terry. And I... I apologize. Like I actually didn't save the link. It was a story around mental health and, you know, some of the aspects of being psychologically safe inside of the workplace. But a quote from Asha Terry in this particular story says, there isn't something new to do in this situation. It's something to continually do. And that is to listen. This was in reference to the events of January 6th. Employers, we hope you are listening to your Asian, your black, your brown, Hindu, Jewish, Hispanic, Latin, Muslim employees. And if I missed anyone, I'm absolutely sorry. I agree with Asha Terry 1000%. In times like this, catalytic events like we witnessed on January 6th, Make space inside of your workplace to not always do the talking, but to do more of the listening. Let's get into this week's show. So nicely said and and falls squarely into my my story. So January 6th, I think, is going to go down as a, a day that we all remember in our lifetimes as a day of infamy. And now we're seeing some of the fallout from the insurrection. Yeah. Um, no, I, I believe it's 147 um, individuals in our Congress voted to not certify the election of Joe Biden. Um, and they have now seen massive numbers of PACs and corporations pull funding from those who chose to vote against the certification of the election. Nike announced uh on Wednesday morning, but that isn't even close to all. We've got Marriott, AT&T, Dow Chemical, Airbnb, Morgan Stanley, Hallmark, MasterCard, Amex, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Amazon, Comcast, Disney, Verizon, 
and Walmart. Wait, wait, I want to go back though. You when you started it, you said Nike. Now, is that the yes. way that you all pronounce it in Indiana? Do you say Nike or do you say Nike? Um, if I'm talking about my shoes, uh-huh. I say Nike. If okay. I'm talking about the company, I usually say Nike. Interesting. And that could be just a Julie thing. Could be a Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right if it's a Julie thing. I call it, and I'm. Yeah, I mean, I really do listen. And I was like, hmm, let me find out if that's the way that they rock it. But no, you you bring out a number of organizations, and you know what makes me smile about this is that they did something. What makes me yes. pause is when will you begin to be a bit more proactive in the doing of something? Meaning. I know that decisions like this, Julie, are always, almost always based on something happening. They're a chain of events. The sequence, something happens, we react to that. Something happens, we react to that. And so for, for me, it's uh, w- when I look at uh, the, the list, and I don't know this to be, What's the word that I'm looking for? I don't know this to be 100% spot on in terms of timing, but my question to you or to the listener is how much has to happen before we do something? How much did you need to see before we do something? Like we didn't see on this list, we don't see Twitter. Now we know that a lot of the social media companies have cut the administration or Donald Trump's uh, ability to communicate using their platform. But it's like after we looked at nearly six years of reckless communication. So so that's my pause in that. Yeah. And so let me stop and interrupt that thought for just one second. And no, listeners, we record on Wednesday, even though you hear our show on, on Thursday mornings. Um, as we are speaking the House has impeached President Trump for the second time. So together, we're, we're hearing history again um, on the Crazy and the King show. And I, I think, you know, to your point, right, we're to this place where we've had this insurrection and a lot of us believe that it was inflamed um, by a political party, by a political sentiment. Um, and we see companies reacting, which – is good. We want companies to react when things happen where we need to drive change within our structures. Agreed. I I think the challenge is is when we're thinking about reactionary and, and proactive, because what I would like to see is that we have tactics and pushes and forces in place before we get to a George Floyd, before we get to a Breonna Taylor, but it, I feel like it's a, it's a fundamental mechanism or component of capitalism, right? Capitalism is constantly reacting to the market. It's not necessarily anticipating or preparing for the market or the social good, right? The corporate good. Um, and so I feel like we're always going to see in this unfettered capitalism, a reactive role from companies who are then going to be applauded for their reaction and never held to account that they should have been leading proactively because we can see these things happening yeah, but how can you, and they're but, not taking place. Yeah, but how can, you, how can you see them, Julie? And, and I don't 
I, I'm curious, you know, what, what is it that, and I'm asking myself the question, you know, what is it that we would really want to see from a proactive standpoint? Like you can't, you can't project a George Floyd or a Breonna Taylor in this example. You can't project uh, that a particular uh, politician is going to nefariously leverage uh, a social media channel. Like, like if I say that I'm going to run for office and God knows Torrin ain't ever running for office. Trust me. <laughs> All those skeletons. Yeah, trust me. <laughs> we are not that patchwork of opportunity for for everybody out there is not something that I'm about to give to them. But but if I if 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 I had all of the best intentions and an organization said, well, you know, we're not going to support your campaign because we absolutely know that in three years, it's it's a bit hard for them to not be reactive. And so I guess a part of me is, of course, critical. And, and that's why I couch it in the critical uh, criticality of, of timing. Like, like, how much do you need to see? I know you need to see something, but how much do you need to see before you can make a decision. And then the second part to that is when does it become too much of a focus on social issues and taking your eye off of the ball of uh, the corporate bottom line? Yeah, so I, I think fundamentally we disagree on this point because I think that we can absolutely anticipate murders of black people at higher rates by police officers. I think that we can absolutely see in the 20 plus year history of our current elected officials, their pro, their propensity towards racism and authoritarianism and false information, right? We, we knew 10 years ago that Donald Trump was a purveyor of false news when he asked for Barack Obama's birth certificate. Uh -huh. We can see these things. And companies have their eye on the bottom line all the time. That's why we don't have good health insurance. That's why we don't have rising wages. That's why we have income inequality at the highest levels in our history is because we have waned so far to the beholdenness of the shareholder that we forgot about the people who built the company. And so I think that it is, um, I think it's too forgiving, I guess is what I, I would say. I want to use harsher words, but not about you, about them. Um, I think it's too forgiving to them to say that, that the smartest most connected people on the planet can't see the things that are right in front of them. Okay. So look, I want us to take a break because I actually have a question as it relates to this, because the way that you have structured uh, the fallout of January 6th and sharing the, the list of organizations, which I'm sure is growing and will continue to grow, particularly in light of the announcement that you just inserted around, uh, impeachment and some of the uh, remaining days of this administration. I have a question for you, but real quick, we want to hear from our newest sponsor, Jobfinder. Really quick, before Torin and I hop back into the episode, have you heard about the new Jobvite? 
The social recruiting innovator is now the end-to-end TA suite leader, helping TA teams attract, engage, hire, onboard, and promote the talent they need to succeed. But built specifically for talent acquisition professionals, the Jobvite Talent Acquisition Suite delivers an unmatched depth of capabilities from AI to DNI, recruitment marketing to applicant management, new hire onboarding, employee referrals, internal mobility, all with next-gen analytics to help you prove the value you deliver to your organization. Whatever your recruiting challenge, Jobvite has a solution. Visit jobvite.com slash C-A-T-K today. Again, jobvite.com forward slash C-A-T-K. Now let's get back into the show. All right, cool. So uh, before we took the break, I actually summed up that I'm, I'm happy. And I think that your story really, uh, it really vibes and syncs with what we're going to talk about in terms of my story. But I left the audience saying that I had a question for you. And the question is really, really simple. If everything that you say is true, that we can be more proactive as corporate citizens, that we can look at history and allow history to inform, to shape to some degree how we uh, net out action, how we pursue activity and decision. If, in fact, that's true and, you know, a a portion of me tends to agree with you, then Mm -hmm. How do we manage what we consider to be a post-truth world as corporate leaders? And when we think about a post-truth world, what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we didn't talk about our stories before, and I'm just so incredibly excited about how in tune we are when we're thinking about programming for, for the week, because I don't know the answer to that question, right? And and I think that when I bring up stories like this, it's it's not to be political. Everyone knows what my politics are. I'm not quiet about them. But as DNI leaders, as corporate leaders, as technology leaders, we can see the impact that our ever increasing isolation and bubbles and and mistrust of the other side has created and it's created a, a a false reality in which a generation of our employees are going to live. And how are we going to manage educating and informing our workplace in a way that is apolitical and provides I, I mean I think at this point we've got to start looking at a, a, a civics a basic civics education for a lot of our employees because we're going to have to deprogram and train them to find actual truth and not truth that just reinforces or validates our opinions. And this is on both sides of the aisle, right? I think one has some very serious problems with white supremacy and and is using a lot of this to be able to project and promote and further white supremacy. However, this is a basic failure of American education and, and leadership that now is going to fall on our corporate leaders. You know, I said in a podcast uh, that I recorded earlier in the week that America is going to always struggle with uh, her full potential because she is hostage to 
privilege and racism. And there certainly could be some other, you know, uh, adjectives or characteristics um, to define her. But I think that she's always going to struggle. She's always going to, to some degree, uh, feel uh, a suffocation because of racism and because of privilege. And when I think about uh, the 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 post truth world that you you mentioned, I love the the fairness in which you say that there certainly is work to be done on both sides. That generation that you are talking about is among us. And the challenge is that when does the clock stop on that? Because that 20 year mark in 20 years tends to be the length of time for a generation. Well, do we start that with those that are 10 or are we starting that with those that are one? And what about those that are 19? And and if we're starting the clock from the people that are 19, we're talking about folks that are going to be 39 years old, steep in leadership inside of organizations, bringing in these, these ideas uh, that are impediments to how we build incredible organizations. And you talk a bit about, you know, spending time deprogramming individuals. And one of the things that I think is extremely important, Julie, doesn't matter to me what organization you are in, the size of the organization. I absolutely believe that the learning journey is is central, is central to how we perform better outside of the organization. That if, in fact, I can spend time educating and helping to reshape, re-edit, reimagine how you see humanity in a place where you spend the most of your time, then hopefully I can have an influence in a place where you sort of enjoy time. I spend more time working than I do watching Netflix. I spend more time working than I do, you know, admiring my Kings while they are on video games or programming or whatever it is that they are doing. So if I can introduce people to more of a learning experience in the workplace, my hope is that I can have an impact on how they show up in the community and in their home. But you are absolutely right. We have a lot of work to do in this post-truth world, and that work has to be done by corporate leaders and everyone who's up under them. Yes. And to that point, you bring to our our really complimentary story, one of my favorite topics that we cover every year, and that's the Edelman Trust Barometer just came out for 2021. What caught your eye this year? Yeah. So, you know, real quick, and we'll put the link in. I'm not going to go through the entire deck. I want to say it's about 40 something slides. Could be a little bit more than that. But on slide number six, they talk about, you know, businesses being more trusted than governments in 18 out of 27 countries. So in the beginning, when you hear that, you know, you're like doing a hand clap near your microphone or your listening device, like, yeah, okay, cool, we're doing a great job. And and actually that may be a bit counter to what Julian Torn just talked about two minutes ago. But, but slide number eight right be- below that says, but trust in employers remains stable in six out of 27 countries and dropped in nine out of 27 countries. And that trust in the employer dropped in the U.S. It dropped in the U.S. and China the most. So we got a lot of work to do here in the U.S. as it relates to how people see 
our organizations, the companies that we are giving so much of our time to, so much of our creativity to, so much of our production and loyalty to. We have to change how we are building these organizations so that people really do feel like, you know what? It's not an embarrassment. It's not a sacrifice. It's not a compromise in my character to be associated with this organization. And Julie, I got to tell you, there are a number of companies that are in the news, some more than others, where you are probably asking yourself, man, if I could if I could just find a better role, I'm out of here because I don't even want to tell people that I work here. I don't want that posted on my social media. I can't believe my leader or my CEO did that. There are a number of them. But the bigger challenge, Julie, is for a person like myself. Like I really have to say to myself, I can't work with them. Doesn't matter that they reached out to me. From a character standpoint, I can't work with them. I can't take a check from them. And that is a really, really hard decision. And full transparency, I'm better this year at being able to make that decision than I was in 2013. When I first started doing DNI work in 2012, 2013, I had to take almost everything smoking because wasn't enough coming to me. I now have more of a luxury to say, nah, I ain't working with you. Mm-hmm. Just ain't doing it. So we really have a lot of work to do as it relates to our building trust of the organizations that we are uh, associated with. Last slide, the most important slide to me in the entire deck was slide number 17. And it looked at, you know, foundational aspects of life and how they are seen as being important. And when I say foundational aspects of life, I mean, they were talking about health care and they talked about wage inequality. They talked about poverty of government, education, a number of categories around life. And... (laughs) Surprisingly, racism ranked last in terms of what needed to be addressed by organizations. Fake news was actually two or three notches higher than racism. What that means is that the people that they polled. Go ahead, Julie. I'm sorry. No, no, you finish and then I'll ask my question. The people that they polled, what those people said was. We want to see companies address all of these issues more or sooner than they address racism. And I just said a moment ago, our full potential is being held hostage to privilege and to racism. And to think that people think that we should address fake news before we deal with racism says an awful lot about some of the people that at least were polled and indirectly, some of the people that are sitting in cubicles next to us or on Zoom calls with us. So let me ask one question. I don't disagree, but all of those things on that list will systemically impact racism in a way that just addressing racism through 
those things will also address racism if we do them correctly. So like my take on it is reduce poverty and reduce racism, uh-huh. improve health care and create le- – or ensure there are less health disparities. You know, like – and so I, I struggle with how the approach works if we're talking solely about racism instead of talking about racism and the systems that are creating – disparate outcomes and creating generational wealth gaps and all of those things for people of color. Yeah. See, I love that you are asking me that and prodding me in this way. What really I would have loved to have seen from Edelman and the people who ask this question, how they frame that question. I would prefer to see improving racism in our healthcare system. I would prefer to see addressing racism in this country as it relates to poverty. I would want to say improving racism in our education system, because here's what I know. What I know, Julie, is that we can improve our healthcare system just from the standpoint of prescription drugs don't have to be as expensive as they are. You know, going to the emergency room or getting an emergency room bill for uh, a sprained ankle doesn't have to be as as it is. So when we do a generic improving healthcare, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's going to be better for the disenfranchised. It doesn't suggest that it's going to be better for black and brown communities. It doesn't suggest even that it'll be better for poor white communities. But when we put racism with it, it changes to me how you look at the system. And in that change and in pursuing that edit, that correction, you are actually making the entire system better. I have forever said, if you do DNI better, you do all of recruiting better. You do all of your organization better. But you got to get DNI right. I can put a piece of technology in that gets recruiting a little bit better, but it don't help me find black and brown people. It doesn't help me find people with disabilities that can absolutely be working just because I put a new piece of technology in. So great question, great challenge. I just don't want to divorce or abandon the importance around racism is an absolute albatross around progress here in our country. Absolute albatross. Fair enough, my friend. Point taken and understood. Absolutely. We're going to include the link. We promise to include the link. Julie does an incredible job of that uh, each and every week. So as Julie uh, stated at the top of the pod, By the time we record next week, the inauguration and whatnot will already be done. So what I want to say to you this week is protect yourself. And I mean that 1000%. Every listener out there, I want you to make sure that you protect yourself. But to our black and brown listeners, to our Muslim listeners, to our Hindu Asian listeners, You make sure that you protect yourself. I don't want you to underestimate these racists one moment. Julie, you may not even be aware of this, but a uh, D.C. Capitol Police Mm -hmm. actually committed suicide last week after the riot. Yes. And they've gotten several calls of other officers. Yes. See, ugly. 
uh, a Georgia man who was actually arrested because of the January 6th event. I, I'm assuming arrested, bailed out. He then committed suicide. I shared with you before we started recording uh, a lady who called into one of the radio shows that I listened to. And her language was that black people were lazy, that we're doing too much to try to take the country that her forefathers built for her and a whole bunch of other stuff that she said. I want all of our listeners to be safe at, uh, on the days leading up to and immediately after the inauguration. Yeah, I don't think we can stress that enough, especially live, if you live in a state capital Everyone should be on notice per the FBI. Oh, on a happy note, you want to end up on some name drops? Let's do it. All right. So my name drop this week goes to the Indianapolis Colts, who have just started a fantastic um, campaign to end the stigma around mental illness and mental health, featuring um, Colts owner Jim Ursay, as well as um, players who are currently living with or have manage mental health or mental illness kudos to you guys kudos kudos and mine goes out to canaries inc texas-based organization started by two incredible black women um their platform gives employees voice in the workplace it's almost um akin to being able to talk about that inclusion equation inside of the company and canaries is spelled with a k you can find them on twitter at canaries inc that's k-a- N-A-R-Y-S Inc. Canaries Inc. And shout out to them because in January uh, they closed another $3 million in funding, bringing the total for them to $4.6 million. And fun fast fact, Julie, they are one of uh, less than 25 black women that have raised more than $4 million for their company. So I'm keeping track. Very nice. Very nice. And you and I um, will be in what the first week of February, we will be leading the weekly roundtable for JobSync. Um, so we're excited about that. Excited to have Alex and David and Amy from the JobSync team invite us to lead that roundtable discussion on diversity and inclusion, especially related to technology. Um, we'll post the invite there, but we hope that y'all will join us. And in the words of Alvin Ailey, the creative process is not controlled by a switch you can simply turn on or off. It's with you all the time. I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe and to make sure you find your voice inside of the workplace. Be a better human. Be a better human. Let's create better culture, better teams, better workplaces. For now, Jay and I are ghosts. See ya. excited about having our first Crazy and the King show sponsor. That is in reference to Gusto. Who are they? Well, Gusto is an easy online payroll and benefits service built for modern small businesses. In other words, a people platform. One place to pay and take care of your hardworking team. Here's the offer. Get three months free when you run your first payroll. All you need to do is visit gusto.com 
forward slash C-A-T-K. That's abbreviated for Crazy and the King. One more time. Go to gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.